Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. We're particularly delighted that um, Drs Laura Edwards and Andy Perbrick of us too are joint CEOs. And a particular Christmas bonus welcome to Dr. Richard Van Malartz. So I, we're just going to have an open discussion really with um, Richard, Laura and Andy to say, how is it currently feeling? What can we do? And um, yeah, where what might we go from here? We're not going to solve things, sadly, but hopefully we'll be able to chat through a few things and perhaps give a little few pointers. So um, I don't know, Richard, if you'd like to just start saying how it feels for you on the ground at the moment. Sure. Well, well thanks ever so much for having me. Um, so it's it's pretty grim isn't it? Um, you know, this is a tough time of year. And then we've got group A strep. And not only those children that are ill with it, but the anxious parents who are bringing their kids along and all the sort of the work we've been doing over the last couple of decades about antibiotics, all of a sudden seem to have gone out the window. And so that, that sort of demand is through the roof. And then the industrial action being undertaken by colleagues elsewhere in the system will no doubt be having an impact as well. And I think that's that's reflected across the country. And, and general practice isn't in a brilliant place to start off with. We're off the back of a pandemic, um, a, a recruitment uh, and workforce crisis. And, you know, I, I bet that everybody who's, uh, who's on the call today is feeling a bit punch drunk and a bit fed up, really, with it all uh, in, in the run-up to Christmas and bank holidays, which, you know, I don't think any of us quite particularly enjoy the bank holidays because it knocks so much work onto the next few days. So it's it's pretty hard out there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether Laura and Andy sort of could reflect on any particular sort of how, it, how it's like, particularly in Wessex at the moment. I think, Andy, you can describe your, your day yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst I've seen in 22 years in general practice. I feel utterly broken after a day in general practice and the team see me come here on a Tuesday after my Monday in the practice and I feel completely spaced out and, and to be honest with you I dread going back in on Friday when I know it will be similarly hellish I think I saw uh, 41 patient contacts on Monday um, uh, and my morning surgery merged into a rushed visit to see a palliative patient then merged into my afternoon surgery uh, and I worked eight till eight without stopping, uh, without lunch, without anything. And that's been replicated across the patch. Uh, and I wasn't the first person to leave the practice. Uh, sorry, I wasn't the last person to leave the practice on Monday. So it just feels totally unmanageable and unsafe. Uh, and it feels like NHS England are not supporting us. Uh, what I would say is that our negotiations locally with the integrated care boards, actually the ICBs really do want to do things to try and support us. And they were all for completely suspending Quaff uh, and Leses and Deses. And it's actually NHS England that have said to them, no, you can't do that. And we will not bail you out financially if you do do that. So they've come up with what they can conceivably um concede to at the moment but we've had a meeting with some of them again today to say actually you need to go back on a regional level to NHS England uh, and have collective strength to say no we need more support for, for general practice but the other thing that I, I guess that's demoralizing for, for staff in particular is this perception that the focus yet again remains on secondary care so we've had communications about unprecedented attendance at A&E 
Uh, and again, I pointed out to the commissioners that this is a system pressure, not an individual pressure. We're part of an integrated care system now. We need to avoid this siloed perception that one area is getting all the workload. A and E has always been funded to have a degree of minors attend it. Their workforce has increased exponentially, and when you look at the increase in A and E workforce compared to GP workforce, it's huge. Um, and if we were to badge every item of work that came into primary care that could have been seen in secondary care, we would equally be saying that actually we need to divert this work back to where it should be. So this this simple perception that A&E is flooded with inappropriate primary care work is not an accurate assessment of the fact that actually within the system, patients are turning up in the wrong places and there's huge inefficiencies and we work we need to work as a system to actually get patients to the right place at the right time. So, yeah, I would say that I am feeling the pain uh, and I wish I had a simple and easy solution. What I would say is putting safe working into practice is easier said than done as well because we all have a moral feeling that we can't turn away that sick child or or if we do turn away that one sick uh, patient that didn't seem so urgent it comes back to biters. I think what we can do, though, is reprioritize what we do. So we, we've we been saying to the commissioners, you know, routine work and non-urgent work has to take a back seat. We will focus on urgent access at the moment, but you need to support us in any catch-up moving forward. There are also huge elements of what we do on a day-to-day basis that's bureaucratic nonsense, and that needs to be removed from us. Uh, and... Um, we start have we will start having to play hardball when it comes to being asked to do other things, you know, things like sick notes, that sort of thing. Eventually, that has to be taken away from us uh, to free us up to meet the urgent demand that we're faced with. Yeah, that's um, it's not a happy place, is it? Um, and that's that sounds really tough. And I mean, that forty-one contacts you had. So I was in my practice yesterday. Again, eight to eight. Um, and now, I mean, what we're what we've referred to there a couple of times is sort of the safer working stuff that we've been trying to we've published and uh, sort of trying to encourage practices to have a look at. Um, now, the number of contacts you have a day is really relevant because if you're getting up to forty-one, that's your decision making on your forty-first patient will not be as good as with your first patient. Uh, and now that's not because you're not a great GP, Andy. As you say, you've got 22 years of experience, and that sort of thing is what does keep your patients safe. And it, you know, it's, to, it's to your own personal detriment. And this is the thing all of us in our practice, all the GPs, all the practice nurses, management staff, reception staff, are slogging their guts out to their own personal detriment in order to make sure that we keep the wheels turning. Um, what we need to be trying to do is finding a way of actually enabling us to be safe as well as our patients to be safe. And getting our contacts down to 25 to 35 per day, it has been shown to be safer uh, sort of levels, um, safer for patients, because we're not going to start making perhaps uh, less effective decisions with those last few patients and safer for us because Andy's not going to or I'm or Laura or any of us are not going to come out of our practices feeling like our brain's been turned to jelly. Um, and and with you know the number of colleagues that are burning out and the number of colleagues unfortunately who are coming to significant harm by virtue of their mental and physical health, uh, which I'm sure we've all heard about, is is significant enough that 
actually making some changes is really important. Now, as Andy says, how do how we do this and how we do it and keep patients safe is really important because we're all terrified about that one instance. And everybody keeps saying this to me. What about that child that you turn away who goes away and has a very adverse outcome, dies or something dreadful like that? Because, you know, would, would the coroner or, you know, would... Would, would we be able to look in the mirror, look at, our, look at ourselves and, and say that we've done enough in those kinds of instances? And, you know, I think that there are there are things that we can be doing. And one thing that I keep coming back to again and again is triage, how we triage our patients and how strict we are with our triage as well. Now, in that podcast, I had, uh, had a really good discussion with Ed about this, and he was talking about a, um, a form of triage which becomes stricter through the day. So that those those sick kids that f- their parents phone in at f- half past four once school's out, they still get seen. But that person that phones up with their um, fungal toenail at four o'clock is 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 rated differently and doesn't get seen immediately. And you know, looking at how we prioritize within our practice and prioritize what is an increasingly precious and scarce resource that we can provide for patients. I think it's important. I'm just working on some documents which are going to come out in the new year from the BMA on just this and how we can how we can be doing more effective triaging in our practices. So whether it be with a, a GP, well-trained care coordinators, or even AI and IT solutions to enable us to do that kind of thing, because we can't we can't be everything for everybody all the time. There's just not enough of us, um, and and actually reducing our appointments a little bit uh, in order to keep us safe will actually improve the quality and actually improve the you know if, if you compare reducing the appointments that Andy offered so say 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 offering 31 instead of, or 35 instead of 41 bring it down by 10 or 15% actually if Andy or any of us get to the point where we can't keep working um and you know have to take a period of time off sick oh i think um, Richard. Uh, Laura, do you want to carry on? I can probably end that sentence. So yes, if they go off sick, then they don't see any patients. And actually, that's 35 patients a day that it are not, there's no capacity to see from, from that individual clinician. So you've got lose-lose and those six that you didn't see, you know, per day, actually, you know, the, the numbers suddenly diverge, don't they, if you're losing 35 per day um, instead. So I think yeah. one of the things is, um, Andy was talking about ha- the pressure, which is just feels unbearable, actually. Um, where do you find the headspace to think through? We, lo- we like the safer working ideal. H- how can we think about what the number would be and, and where do we go from there? What, what, what would you start to do? Because it feels like you just you haven't got the headspace now and you're not going to have the headspace in the next you know month or so. I think the danger is you just try, you continually try and increase and increase and increase capacity. And we all know that the more appointments you offer, the more demand you generate. So it's about starting with the basics, informing your patients about the pressures, giving them the alternatives. So Wessex Healthier Together website for for children, the NHS website. Uh, But also us as an organization working with the system to say we need to protect a scarce resource so one of the reasons why our phone lines are jammed is not because it's all patients trying to get appointments it's patients trying to deal with queries relating to social care and secondary care as well so actually if we can free up some of that and and 
get those patients going to the right place at the right time, we can free up some of the scarce resource we've got, you know, and the number of patients I see that are coming back for the third or fourth time about the, something that I've already referred them with, that's huge inefficiency in the system. You know, patients coming to me because the ambulance service have seen them said there is no medical reason to go to hospital, but there's a social care issue, go and see your GP to get it sorted out. Well, no, yeah, it's social services, not the GP. So we need to get the system messaging right to say, We've got scarce resources across the system. Let's get the patient to the right place at the right time. I think with the practices, it's about having the strength to say, we have finite workforce. We've got a finite number of appointments that we can use. We're not going to turn away absolute emergencies, but we're going to have to prioritize who, who has those appointments, as Richard says, because we, we aren't a bottomless pit. There's a couple of interesting comments that have come in. And I think, um, so the first one is just really sad. So many of the team are on the verge of tears all the time. It's so hard, um, which just reflects what you've been saying earlier. Um, another comment about stopping routine GP work to increase urgent care capacity is really hard. Routine is really routine. It's necessary work. We know from when we stopped routine work in early COVID, it's taken so long to catch up. And then there causes a media backlash. Yeah. And how... So the comment is, how do we do this effectively? How do we do this? Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, just the comment is, our only re realistic option is to create a hot kids hub with physicians, associate and nurse practitioners. So, so that's just one practice manager that the practice will thought through that as an option. Um, what other options are there? I think it's really interesting. I was going to pick up on that point of um, of the routine work. And yeah, you know, we've had these discussions with the ICB for some weeks ago around, you know, what do, what do you do when the pressure goes up and hospitals stop their routine work, their elective work. Um, and, um, and and when we asked earlier, you know, what, what can general practice stop? I think it was around, particularly in Hampshire, it was around proactive case management and a particular initiative that the um, ICB wanted to to do we said what can you stop and they came back with the answer of well you can't stop everything and anything, anything because everything is important in general practice and i i think that is true we we know that if we don't deal with the routine stuff we're kind of storing it up for later it doesn't that doesn't go away um and and we pay because people's conditions get worse because they're not they're not managed so we are in a we are in a really difficult place but i think the population is probably going to have to get used to waiting for primary care as well they're used to waiting for secondary care uh We've, we're under this current agenda from nationally that you know access is everything, but actually access isn't everything because you end up going round and round in circles because your problems aren't dealt with properly because you've got overstretched clinicians who are watching the clock and thinking, I've got another 30 patients to get through after this, so I'm going to do something that's quite quick to, to get you out of the door. And I don't have the time to actually listen to everything you said and therefore make the kind of the actual considered decision, which which may take a little bit longer, but actually would get you a resolution to your problem. Um, and I think patients know that as well. But it's going to be it's going to be a really difficult mindset change. I think people are beginning to get it. And I think um, Jenny's on this call um, who put out and was reflecting that she put something on Facebook saying, talking about the changes they were having to make. Um, and actually comments were getting more supportive 
Um, so I think we're going to see some and the loudest will complain because they don't like it because why would you? But actually, I think there's a realisation of the difficult position that we're in. Um, and Hampshire ICB have come out and said, we want you to switch to urgent, which again, at least they've said it. I think there's a question of how much they can support it and we want them to support it. And again, will they get heard? Will the media want to pick that up? And, you know, even if they do say it, there's that how, how much can the system support us in making those difficult decisions? But they have at least said that's okay and realised the reality rather than I think nationally. And I looked at Richard there, certainly the, it feels like the local teams are supportive, but the will from higher on up is there isn't, there's nothing to see here. There is no problem. Um, so at least locally, they do seem to be acknowledging the problem. But Richard, I'd be really interested in your point of view because that's that's certainly how it feels locally is our teams want to help us, but NHS England are not interested in any comms that re reflect reality um, and endorsing those and aren't really interested in helping. So I'd be really interested what you what it feels like in your meetings with NHS England. So um, I think broadly, yes, I agree that that is the case. So we wrote to NHS England last week asking them to um, pause QAF and IAF and any other non-urgent workload in order to actually help practices manage at the moment. And um, and they've declined. Yeah, um, I will just say, Richard, obviously this is recorded and this will be available on our website as well. So this is potentially public facing. That's, right. whatever you're that's, 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 not, uh, that's not confidential. No, uh, so, <laughs> I know uh, that bit isn't, <laughs> but just so you're aware. <laughs> I, I, do, I do quite often get into trouble for uh, <laughs> shooting from the hips. That's a useful uh, one. Um, so, uh, you know, there are local flexibilities and there is there is benefit to having those conversations. And obviously, you're, you're establishing those relationships with your ICB. Um, and, and so I, I, one would hope that they would be supportive. Uh, there is a limit to what they can do because... NHS England ultimately hold the purse strings and and ultimately are um, uh, you know directing ICBs as to what they can and cannot do. Now uh, we continue to lobby NHS England. I'm meeting with them tomorrow um, in order, and this will this will be discussed further. Then um, you know I think there is some sense that actually if they don't do something, general practice is going to collapse, if not is collapsing currently. Um, but um, it's it's whether we can get them to instigate some support quickly enough in order to make sure that um, practices get support right now. Because there's no point in saying that we'll make a change in March, because quite frankly, there are likely to be practices that aren't here in March if we carry on like this. I mean, I th just to come back to a couple of the points that you, you were making just earlier, um, I think that... Um, prioritizing what we do is really important and stripping out all the things that we don't have to do um, is really crucial at the moment. And, uh, you know, I, I often joke and I, I quote Zamo from Grange Hill and I say, we, we should, we need to just say no. Um, and we need to start. Um, so you're not smiling, Laura, because you're too young to get that. Um, uh, we, uh, we need to, um, we need to start pushing back on all those bits and pieces that we're asked to do. So as Andy was describing all those bits from secondary care, social care, things like that, push them back, use the letters that Wessex LMCs and all the LMCs produce, there's BMA templates as well, push it back. There's ways of reporting these things, which is time consuming and frustrating, but it makes a difference eventually. And it does, and it can do it now. And, and with the sort of the triaging that we're all doing in our practices, stripping out those things that don't need to come to see us. 
so the you know the the bits and pieces of private work i you know i i i would um there's no chance that i would sign a form for somebody to go parachuting at the moment i just haven't got time to do it you know get rid of the you know the all those kinds of forms and bits and pieces that are not statutory obligations they they gum up your system they take your time why why should we be doing those now so pushing those kinds of things back and the comms that you've described as well that's a, um, a practice manager uh, i think you were describing who put something on facebook um for, for their practice our patients actually i think are starting to get it they're getting that we're not sat there with our feet on our desk twiddling our thumbs looking for work to do we are slogging our guts out at great personal detriment and actually getting the patients on side is really crucial because the, the one thing that politicians care about is votes and actually the nhs is not a vote winner for uh, for any of the parties at the moment and so getting them on side about this that can instigate change um and if you if when you're ch when you're making changes to the services that you provide talk to your ppg talk to them communicate with them because when they can they get on your side then they can be your most powerful advocate and that is really crucial thanks Richard. i think andy did you want to come back in there yeah i just said a few things i totally support your um idea of using a scarce resource efficiently i think a lot of our inefficiency is because we're doing other people's jobs but when you talk about the private type work i can't afford to stop doing those bits of private work now because i've been given a 2.1 percent uplift and i've got staff uplift that i've got to meet uh, year on year and if i don't subsidize my nhs income with that private work now then i don't take an income home as a partner so you know, to say that we stop those little bits of private work, I think is kind of missing the point. We're doing so much of other NHS or social care work that needs to be really pushed back and say, no, this isn't our job. And, you know, so much of what we've been doing, talking about, about occupational health, we should have no role in occupational health assessment or sick note um, uh, issuing because that's not the role of primary care. And that needs to be removed from a straightaway. And that would significantly reduce the number of appointments that that get taken up. I think just talking about, as Laura said, there's a willingness of the public to wait to see a hospital doctor. We've got to be realistic here and say, if you want us to meet urgent care demand at the moment, there's going to be a waiting list to see a GP for, for routine care. Uh, and I would echo one of the things that's been put in the chat. This is not just about doctors. This is about the entire practice team. Our reception staff are working in unimaginable um, hours in the face of just horrific demand uh, and abuse and unhappy patients. And similarly, our secretarial teams are, are constantly bombarded with unhappy patients that either can't get through to the hospital or chasing uh, appointments. Uh, and that's making our, our other team members morale really drop uh, and people leave the practices as well and and so you know as i said this is a whole team and a whole system problem and just the one final thing around respiratory someone mentioned about having um, uh, a pediatric hub so there is national funding for icbs to be setting up respiratory hubs as usual it's painfully slow and probably by the time they're set up it will be woefully late but there there are, i know that each icb now is mandated to invest in setting up a respiratory hub to manage acute respiratory illness within the community. Whether we'll see that in time, 
um, for the early new year remains to be seen. But I think there's about £100 million worth of investment there. Just before anybody else, thank you, and anybody else comes in, just for the sake of the audio podcast, if people obviously can't see the chat, I'd just like to um, just just let people know that there's obviously that's one of the practice funders said there's going to be an, they're going to publish an open letter to patients which outlines unsafe practice and leads them to change their ways and just realizing things are new and also recording something on their phone message to reflect that and I would just say within our organization we've talked about what safe is and actually if you just compare it to an airline pilot they're only allowed to sort of fly for so many hours then they take a break HGV driver only drive for so many hours then takes a break I think it's easier for patients to understand I certainly found it easier to understand the concept of safer working when I put it in that context. Um, admin pressures, um, exactly as you were saying, Andy. Um, also, a comment, it's got to be the other end of the spectrum, reducing the demand to start with. So health education in schools, communities, other places to equip patients. Um, and then just one of the practices have invited the Dorset Care Record team in to monitor contacts for a week. So hopefully just sort of spreading the word. And then one more contact, one with just more comment about some of the difficulties. If the doctors are pushing back, the person that might be in the middle of that is the receptionist or the practice manager to explain it, and which is a comment, um, just a comment that you made, Andy. So I just wanted to fill, fill everybody in with that. Um, and Richard, would you like to come back? Then I think Laura wanted to come in with something. Yeah, thank you. So so that, that point about our um, administrative and, and uh, reception colleagues being on the front line, I absolutely acknowledge that. Um, and uh, if we are going to put them in a position where they're saying no on practice's behalf, then that communication in ahead of that is really important. So getting getting the uh, getting uh, the updates out to patients by whatever whatever means necessary. So they because general practice has changed dramatically in the last two years. And I don't think that's been particularly well subsidised, uh, well communicated to, uh, by NHS England. Uh, a couple of points, Randy. So private work, yeah, I take that point. And yes, it's maybe you know little bits and pieces around the edge. Only comment I would say about that is make sure your your prices are up to date. And, uh, and you're uh, adequately remunerated for your time if you're going to be doing that kind of thing. Occupational health, removing that from general practice conference policy, um, that's not going to happen before Christmas, I'm afraid. Uh, that's a sort of a long-term outcome. Um, I'm good, but not that good. Uh, waiting lists. So this, so uh, there's a discussion in the um, Safer Working document, which is on the BMA website. I've updated it again this last week. I'm doing some videos over the next couple of days as well. Um, there's some stuff on waiting lists there. I've got a very long document which is going through legal at the moment um, about waiting lists, which I'm going to get out just after Christmas. Uh, and it's a real, really good how-to guide. Um, and the hubs, uh, it's not 100 million, it's 40 million, unfortunately. Um, and uh, and that's not good enough. Um, and it is, um, it's all fishing from the same pool. We haven't got the staff to go and populate a new hub you know, we we want to put the money into practices to actually support practices in order to be able to do this, so that we can recruit, recruit and retain, have something which is sustainable and doesn't doesn't pop up for a couple of weeks over winter and then get shut down again, and then have a third of the cost in setting up again the next winter. Uh, but this is this is a, a constant discussion. Thank you, Richard. And just before um, Laura comes in, there's just been a question from the floor. Can we have a standardised open letters to patients regarding unsafe practice? Is that part of the toolkit that you've got, Richard, on the BMA website? So we're looking to develop that, yeah. Okay, that would be, be good. Um, Laura. 
Yeah, so the ARIs, as they're getting called, these acute respiratory hub places um, in Hampshire, they are getting stood up. And I think some of them are getting stood up this week, but the capacity is very small because, again, they're actually dependent on kind of individual practitioners. I think you can tell that from kind of the hours they're getting offered. They're often one or two days and they're often sort of 12 appointments um, morning and afternoon, which fits with safe working, which is what we've just described, um, but means that actually when you've got four or five or more practices feeding into each one, then that capacity doesn't go very far. And I think the model is that that they have to still be triaged by somebody to go into that. Uh, so again, it, we'll see. We'll see how useful they are. But that's where the money is. That is where the money is. So um, that's where we get. That's where the ICBs are going with it. Um, we have secured a COF and IIF protection across Hampshire and Isle of Wight um, area. Uh, we've got something similar sort of in Dorset, but it's got RAG rating and we haven't totally bottomed it out. And B SW, which our other area, have gone for something which, again, we're still trying to bottom out exactly what they mean, but they're talking about quarter four protection. Um, so we're we're working on everybody. We we like Hampshire and Isle of Wight's uh, support best. Thank you very much, Hampshire and Isle of Wight. Um, but uh, we're working with the others, again, recognising what their constraints, um, as Andy has said, they're not funded for this. And, and you've said, Richard, they're not being supported by this nationally. Um, so they are in a difficult position, but we are... We are explaining the position very clearly to them about where general practice is and they do really, really need to support it in any way they can. Um, in letters to patients, I think uh, whoever was talking about writing that open letter, there's a number of practices that are doing that. So you're not alone in beginning to do that. Um, and again, I think it's about, we've, it's a tough thing to say to our patients, but we just have to share so that they understand. Um, I think it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I stood, I stood in an airport recently and I stood in a huge queue for Costa and I could see the queue um, and people were willing to stand in that queue for their cup of coffee. I think one of the difficulties we face with general practice is there is no visible queue. It's one of the pieces of feedback we're hearing is people go in and the waiting rooms are quite empty. So we're not that busy. We have a queue and it's on the phone and then it's in people's homes and they're spread out. But in hospital, if you go into A&E, the waiting room is full and therefore people know that they are busy. And it's that, it's that whole kind of mind thing of being able to see the busyness um that almost the way we're working counts against us um but i think we have to explain it to, uh, to people and on that note we we are doing that on your behalf um so some of you may have seen uh, that uh, i was on the it the local itv news uh, on friday evening explaining the fundamental problem which is really that between uh, demand and workforce um and that mismatch that we've got um and uh, and we uh, also so we i explained that and one message was don't blame the GPs. Uh, I'm afraid I couldn't get all staff in there. So I came away always wishing that you've said something slightly different. Um, I very much have the rest of the staff in my mind um, and uh, I missed that bit off my sentence. Um, and also we directed people towards Healthier Together as well um, as a port of call, again, trying to, trying to um, uh, mitigate that demand uh, around strep A and trying to get people to reassure. And we've also had a piece in the uh, Dorset Echo as well, talking around heightened demand as well um, from that press release we did. So thank you, thank Laura. You. Can I just, just clarify one thing that you said? Mm. So IIF, we haven't been informed, only COF has been confirmed. So in three quick people have come in about I think the Hampshire practices. Can you just confirm by IIF protection and quaff protection because there's obviously a little bit of confusion there so i don't know if you can come back in and just confirm that or we can come back later 
She's just check, looks like she's just checking everybody. So we will come back on that. Um, Andy. Yeah, just to, just to go back on the press statement that we we put out. So that was in response to existing unprecedented demand then exacerbated by Group A threat. And just to reassure you, that press statement went to every single media outlet that we have any um, into, say, BBC, ITV, all of the local newspapers, local radio. Uh, and on the back of that, obviously, Laura was invited to interview. I think we also got some coverage in Basingstoke in their newspaper. But we are trying to engage with the media as much as possible, realising that it's not always that easy and we have to be careful what type of message we put out. But you know, we're trying to put the, a message out that, that this is unprecedented pressure. We're a scarce resource. We realise patients are scared. There are ill people out there that need to be seen but we can only deal with what we can deal with with the workforce that we have. So that's a constant message that we'll be putting out on your behalf. Thank you, um, Andy. So let me know, Laura, when you... Oh, are you ready, ready. to come back? I'm, yeah, I'm ready. ready. Good, fantastic. Thank you. So it is only quaff. It is only quaff for Hampshire and Isle of Wight. We're pleased with that. But I'm doing subliminal messaging to the uh, anybody from the ICB who's <laughs> listening that we'd like IAF as well. And we are also going back about LCSs as well. So um, it is quaff only. Apologies. I got too overexcited on, on how far we got thank there. You. But thank you. It's fantastic that you're listening and that you came with the questions. And that's why we do this live webinar because it's going to be really helpful. Um, LCSs, LCSs are protected in Dorset. Not go. IIF. Good. Okay. That's fine. Anybody else want to add anything on that? I think I think that's kind of sorted that one out. Um, I just wonder whether we probably need to round this up. We've got a few other things we wanted to talk about. So just Richard, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I kind of do want to put you on the spot. Just just in case you could help. There's just a question that's coming and it was something going through my mind. It's something we were talking just before the webinar. Does anyone know what the light is at the end of the tunnel? It'd be really helpful to have something to hold on to. So, so people leaving this webinar, can we have something positive? Can you sort of just suggest anything? I know the work's coming in, but as you said, it's not going to happen before Christmas. That was occupational health and these things aren't going to happen before March. But what can we do now? What is there now that we can say, OK, maybe it could be this? So I think the light at the end of the tunnel is that actually the NHS is really built upon general practice. And even politicians at their most daft do realise that our nation cannot cope with that general practice. And whilst they might be willfully neglecting us, they are starting to realise that they are going to need to make changes. Now, we, so GPC, um, we were hoping to have been in negotiations with NHS England for some time, but because of changes in government and, uh, you know, going through a Secretary of State a week, um, we have not been in negotiations with them yet. But come April, so April 23, I'm expecting to have substantive changes which will support general practice through 23-24. In the meantime, we are working at damnedest to make sure that there will be supportive changes that are made by NHS England, which will be rolled out across the country, to make sure that we can look after our patients and we can look after ourselves and each other. And and I mean from, from everybody in the practices, from, from GPs, from partners, from sessional GPs, locums, practice managers, administrators, everybody is supported to work in general practice. And whether that be from resourcing, uh, money, or whether it be changes in what we are doing and how we are working. But I can promise you that myself and the rest of the officer team and everybody in BMA are sweating blood like you do at Wessex LMCs to make sure that we 
support our practice so that we can support our patients. And none of us are going down without a fight here. Thank you, Richard. That's really, really helpful. Thank you so much, Richard. Have a lovely Christmas. Thank you so much. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.